Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast, hosted by Angel Deer. In this podcast, we explore the mysteries of spirituality and consciousness. In each episode, we dive deep into the realms of human experiences, our rapidly changing world, and the unseen realms, tapping into the universal wisdom that connects us all. Whether you're a seasoned spiritual seeker, starting to awaken to the possibilities of a more expansive reality, or want support on your journey, this podcast is for you. Join me as we explore topics such as shamanism, spiritual transformation, holistic healing, the medicine path, energy healing, plant medicine, ancient wisdom, and more. Our guests are respected elders and experts in their fields, and we'll learn from their insights and experiences as we journey together on the path of spiritual growth. If you can, please consider supporting this podcast by joining our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. Once again, it is patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. Now, let's dive into today's episode. This is very exciting, uh, this time that on uh, this podcast, we get to talk about the bees, but uh, you don't have to be a beekeeper or interested about beekeeping. What we really wanted to explore is the mystical side of uh, being in relation to bees and to the beehive. And my guest today, Tyler, has a long experience in uh, professional beekeeping and also uh, smaller hive management and has been a student on the shamanic path for many years. And uh, as we go through the episode, you will uh, see how we go from, yes, talking about what you probably know about the bees to more mystical, magical aspect of beekeeping. And ultimately how we find ourselves in the presence of a wise elder of a spirit of the hive, of a deep reflection into our soul, how this connection to the beehive can help us see ourselves, heal ourselves, and if we deepen that connection, even receive guidance for our lives. And so I hope you really enjoyed today's episode. We've been uh, investing a lot of time and funds in making those episodes better and technology and all the supports we need to make those episodes so first i want to say i'm really grateful for all of you that are listening to our episodes um, and uh, i hope you really enjoyed today uh, i had a lot of fun and uh, there were some tears shed at some point in the episode and so yes let's uh, let's start now Welcome, welcome everyone on this uh, new episode of my podcast. I'm uh, recording it today uh, from the land of the sanctuary uh, because uh, I have my guest with me, Tyler. Hi, Tyler. How are you? Hey, Angel. I'm great. So Tyler and I have known each other for uh, many years now. Tyler studied uh, shamanism with me. 
And on the side, or I would say as his main activity was, uh, or is a beekeeper. And he's been working on, you know, big, large scale farms, smaller farms, uh, people that do beekeeping in many different ways, but also because, you know, he studies shamanism and he's very interested about the more spiritual aspect of beekeeping or working with bees. Those are some of the subjects we are going to address today. And yesterday, Tyler and I uh, drove for five hours to go pick uh, four new bee colonies that we installed in our hive, including one hive that is made into a tree trunk, uh, which was pretty cool, right? It's <laughs> awesome. We had, a, we had a lot of fun doing that. And there is a, a video on my YouTube podcast that you can watch. I already encourage you to go check our YouTube podcast and subscribe to it. We put a lot of new video very regularly. Uh, and there's also a blog post that I made uh, around this practice of bee shamanism and uh, spiritual beekeeping. So you have more content to check if you're just listening to that podcast or inviting you after we uh, dive in today to go look at those other content. I also wanted to thank you for those of you that are our Patreon members. You know, Patreon is a good way to support this production of podcasts. You know, it costs uh, money to edit those podcasts, to add music, uh, to bring our guests uh, on the podcast. So if you feel cold, you can start with $5 a month and just support this production. So if you feel that those podcasts, this content is really helping you as providing you support, we really, really appreciate the exchange. So welcome, Tyler. Good Thank to be you. with you, brother. Thank you. Great to be here with you. Yeah. So I would like to start by asking you a little bit about your story with the bees and how when it started all, were you, what called you into walking with bees? Yeah. Um, and I just want to say thank you for having me on your land. You're welcome. So it's a great experience being here. And, um, so yeah, I, um, I grew up in the woods. Um, my parents ran a hostel when I was little and until I was nine. So I, I really take to heart, you know, being in the woods and, being connected in those ways. And when I started going to college, um, I ended up commuting the, my entire career. So with that, once it ended up being the last couple years of college, my parents and I came to an agreement. If I commuted my last couple years, I could one, get a dog um, so I oh, saw so they were like, you can get a beehive. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the other thing, you know, I was like, I need a hobby. You know, I was working a lot through college, always had a couple jobs. Um, and when I, you know, just reading about bees and it's something that's always intrigued me from a young age, but I really, you know, took the dive after a while. Um, I bought a bee suit, started, you know, looking around, bought some equipment off of someone who was downsizing, and then ended up starting my own backyard hives. Started with two, three at first. You know, there's a there's a lot of loss within beekeeping. So that's definitely 
the key of, you know, to be a long-term beekeeper, you have to become okay with that. You know, it's pretty, um, it's hard in the beginning to lose hives. You know, it's something that's, I always explain to people, it's like, to, to me, and I'm sure to you as well, it's like having a fish tank. You know, I could just sit in front of it, watch them flying in and out. You know, once I start pulling frames and going in there, it's your your mind kind of goes blank and you're just in the flow of, you know, being another member of the hive almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I've really found the bees accepting someone putting their hands in their home and doing all that as if you're just kind of, you know, acting like you're supposed to be there <laughs> in ways. Um, so once I started with backyard hives, I knew there was a lot to learn once I had done like one backyard season. So I ended up going to a club meeting, a local Lehigh Valley Beekeepers Association meeting. And it was really great. It was, they were talking on the topic of queen rearing and the president was doing a presentation and he kept getting interrupted by a lot of the members. Um, and once you really start to get into beekeeping, you realize it is something that is portrayed as a retirement job because you're always doing something different throughout the day, the weeks, months. There's always something new. Um, it's what really brought me in is after so long, there's just, you're continually learning. Mm. You know, it's almost been nine years for me now. And I still feel like when I think about it, I'm like, I know nothing. But then you get going and you're doing all this stuff and realize there's a big accumulation of knowledge that just by interacting with something like that over time. So... I really kind of wanted a fast track of just getting through the beginning stages, really understanding what, what I'm looking at. So I went to the president and I just asked, hey, can, can you introduce me to somebody who would mentor me a little bit? And that was something that was exponential. He introduced me to Dr. Robin Underwood, and then she mentored me for five or six years. Um, she was doing research at Penn State, uh, started at Kutztown where I went to college and then hired me into her program after I learned enough to be able to work on my own. Um, and then the journey kind of really started with popping my head in her office, just being like, hey, I bought a bee suit. Can I, can I follow you around? <laughs> and she just, she loved it. We, we talked like right away for a while in her office and within a week I was in the field with her. Um, Amazing. And at that point yeah. I was still wearing gloves and doing all that stuff. So, but it really, yeah, meeting the right people, I think, and getting a mentorship really helped everything take off. But um, Beautiful. And so fast forward, basically, you've you know in the last eight or nine years, you also work for a very large operation, right? And we'll be talking about it later in the podcast. But you have also experience uh, 
the big industry, I would say, right? Uh, the large scale beekeeping companies in this country. And so you kind of seen the two end of the sticks, I guess, uh, from the small hive in your garden to, to that, right? Yeah, most definitely. And it's, it's something that's funny because, you know, the majority of beekeepers are backyard beekeepers, but the majority of the hives that are owned in the United States are controlled by the commercial industry. Mm. So something that's, um, it's a little bit of paradox there. Yeah, it's interesting, right? And I guess it's like we were talking about it before we start the podcast, right? So a little bit what we've done to milk productions or to meat productions and uh, veggies and even organic food, right? So there's a lot of people that might do their little production at home, might have their gardens, uh, but there's a whole industry also. And there's a great chance that if you buy your honey at the supermarket, that is coming from those, you know, big uh, commercial uh, industry companies. Uh, but if you go to your farmer's market uh, or you stop along the road and you see a little sign, honey for sale, that you are dealing more with the small scale beekeepers out there, right? Is that, is that correct? Yeah, definitely. Um, there are some, you know, it's becoming more of a trend with, you know, more of a holistic approach to stores, but they don't tend to be chains. And they tend to work with local beekeepers more. Mm-hmm. I know some places, even even Whole Foods at points, will work with local people depending on the store. But you know, they will also have right next to it the pasteurized honeys, the big commercial guys. Um, so, so yeah, I want to start kind of weaving from the beginning of our talk the spiritual connection to bees and bee shamanism, which. Uh, you know, I think it's easy for to understand for people that are listening that, yeah, if you have a thousand hives, you're not going to be able to have a direct relationship with each hive, with each queen, with each colony, because you just have to process so many hives and you cannot spend. Where for me, having three or four hives, I can see, you know, the difference with each eyes, right? We were talking, we just installed the colony yesterday and we, you know, checked this morning and we can already see there is some difference between the hives, right? Some have more bees and some seems more active. So we can do really small management. We can, we can be into direct relationship. So I want to know, because you have this profound connection to the bees and you've been working in different scale. How is that spiritual connection going once you are on those very large scale farms? And maybe you can describe a little bit for people, what do we mean by industrial beekeeping? What does that look like? Because I don't think people really understand the scale of it and how things works there. Sure. Um, Absolutely. And that's, that's something that I try to tell people, you know, especially with those large operations, um, a beekeeper is a farmer. At that point, they're not, you know, it's not this save the bees sort of mentality when you're in these places. Um, I was fortunate to work for a good family company. They still cared about what they were doing. Um, but at that, they had 30,000 hives. Wow. And 30,000. Yeah. And with companies like that, their rule of thumb is usually they have one employee per a thousand hives. So 
still, that is something that's very, you know, extraneous to, to work. So. Yeah, I mean, if I had a thousand hives, I don't think I will know exactly what's going on in each hive at any given moment, right? Because that probably take me a week just to go through each hive and spend 20 minutes with each of them, right? <laughs> yeah, and and with that, it's there's a crew of four to five um, crew members, and we're tasked with working usually 600 hives a day, mm. which the place I was working in was California around the almonds. You know, I decided at one point, um, within the bee industry, it's a very stigmatized thing to, you know, almonds are the biggest crop we have as far as pollinators go. And with that, it's the largest man driven wildlife migration in the world to send bees to almonds come January. It pays to go from the East Coast all the way out. And then what a lot of those guys end up doing is going from almonds to sunflowers to berries to berries. And that's what gets them back across the country. Um, Yeah, so 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 everybody understand here, it's basically, you know, a crop like almond trees, they are going to flower a certain time of the year. They are obviously not going to be in flower for, you know, six months. And so when they are all in flower, and when you talk about the almond industry and the almond milk that some people are drinking, uh, you need massive quantity of almond trees. So it's a monocrop culture, right? You just mm-hmm. have almond trees as far as your eyes can see. Mm-hmm. And there is not much anything else there, which means there's no pollinators most of the time. So when the almonds are in flower, you need to bring those bees, yeah, right? And they are tracked around the around the country right thousands and thousands and thousands of hives are moved around and then when the pollination season is over after a month then those bees are moved like you explained you know, to the sunflowers and into the berries and all of mm-hmm. that so it to me it's fascinated me that i mean humans are very weird sometimes i have some kind of crazy ideas that we thought, okay, you know what? That's not a problem that we don't have pollinators. We're going to just move billions of bees around the country every year in order to sustain that kind of production, right? So we, I can see that obviously if we want massive scale almond production, we need industrial beekeeping, mm-hmm. right? The industrial beekeeping industry was a response to the intense farming of almonds mm-hmm. and other monocrops mm-hmm. that we do around the country so how do you feel when you are in those type of practices in those type of industries uh, about that connection to the bees does it change for you and what is the relation there it was um for me it was it was really peculiar experience when i first got to california um, because one um covid had just hit I was there for maybe two months and then everything shut down, but working essentially, um, especially in that industry, you know, nothing stopped. And I kind of got this third, second, first person experience with that whole realm. Um, You know, working in research when I first got there, I'm kind of dancing around all these big guys and seeing all of, kind of what's going on and then worked with 
one of the commercial beekeepers and then ended up consulting for myself for a little while. And through those experiences, you know, in research, you know, we're, we're working hives frame to frame. And that's something that I'm always used to because it, it makes you super curious going through hives and you're always looking at their behavior. So basically open each hive, take each box on the hive and then each box there is, you know, 12 frames or, you know, more frames and you just pull them out and look at each frame of bees. And so you have a direct experience, right? Direct contact with them. Yeah, exactly. And then once we got into the commercial industry, we're basically working box to box. So instead of taking the time, the care to go through and evaluate everything that's really going on within the hive, now you're just looking at each box. You kind of want to just make sure they have their laying brood. Um, they have enough pollen and honey. And what really ends up happening is it's not much honey that exists in those hives. It's more or less feed anymore. Um, so they feed them sugar water a lot, either one-to-one, two-to-one. A lot of them use what's now like a four-to-one ratio because it doesn't ferment over time. It's really close to honey in consistency. So they end up using a lot of that stuff, which, which takes away from the diversity. And that's really what um, it comes down to when it comes to helping out, you know, our, our pollinators in general, it's diversity. Mm-hmm. It's not the individual honeybee that's just a top performer. So what you mean by that is that the honey that's producing those hive, a lot of it comes from sugar water that is fed to the bee, basically. Yeah, and, and um, when they go into almonds, because they're in this monoculture environment, Once they're in almonds, they don't have to get fed anything, but because they use so many different chemicals, you'll never, and almond honey is, tends to be a little bitter. Um, You'll never see almond honey for sale. People don't want to eat that sort of stuff. It it probably wouldn't pass, you know, tests as far as, you know, what else is in it. So with that, um, you know, my connection to bees had always been, such so like a home experience. Hmm. And then once I got to that industry, um, slowly that, that wonder started to fade in ways. Hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, with, with that, I had certain experiences that always kept me close. And I think that's, you know, just the spiritual part about it. I always like held on to why did I start? kind of stuff and that um when you if you get involved in the bee industry you'll hear a lot of shoulds and the path that people usually take with their career and you know once you get out there and you build yourself up that's like you're in the pinnacle sort of with that stuff and and after a while you know working with those big beekeepers you know the the satisfaction really started to fade day to day, I would have these moments where there was an opening for, you know, that wonder to be created in ways still. So for instance, when I worked for the school, um, in research still, we, I was going to move bees for the USDA and we're on an orchard that was three hours South. So I drove in and you lose cell phone service. You're 
kind of navigating through these farms just based off of a coordinate pin that you got given. And even with that, you're kind of like, all right, I'm in the area. I just need to keep driving and I'll, I'll find these hives. And like you had mentioned earlier, you know, I got there. You, you can only move bees at night. So I got there before the sun set. I kind of ran to the top of the hill and it's, it's incredibly beautiful. You know, the sun's setting. All you're seeing is these blooming almond trees. The smell that surrounds you is just, you know, creating even more wonder. So it's, it's beautiful in the moment. And then you kind of think about it and it's like, wow, this beauty is also the reason why there's no native bees here anymore. You know, these acres, acres and miles are just kind of just this. Mm-hmm. And they don't like cover crop because in these environments, you know, especially in California, until this year, they've been dealing with a very large water shortage, mm-hmm. which almonds take a very large amount of water to be able to produce. Um, so moments like that, and then and then the keys got locked in the truck by accident and we're two hours out from the farm. So I just had the chance to sit around in a bee yard and just kind of like covered my hands in bees. I'm just sitting there like watching them and feeling their vibrations and stuff. And those were moments that really, you know, got more childlike again with just, it's just you and the bees. It's not, it's, you know, we're not going for this goal of 600 hives a day anymore, all that sort of stuff. And, and then working and um, consulting, you know, I'd worked bees from a dozen states at least at that point. And the detriment to me is that when I get bees, it's it's to maintain this this relationship. And you know, when when bees all of a sudden get put into a business plan, you know, it's it costs money to do this. You know, I got to send the crew of guys there. Diesel costs this much all that sort of stuff. And for the three months of almond blooms, once they go into almonds, unless you're a local company, like these bees don't get worked. They're kind of totally neglected. Um, they just drop them in the field basically and just basically pollinate and probably some died. If there's not enough food, right. And they just left there. Lots. And, and that's the thing too. I'd, I'd worked on certain orchards where they had their own bees. And I also witnessed them chemically kill their own bees, spraying the almonds. There was a particular scenario where I went to a a farm and I was supposed to be giving them a frame of bee analysis. So I got hired by a tech company who makes sensors for beehives. So they claim to be creating algorithms that can detect what a queen's doing what sort of activities going on in a hive and all of that sort of stuff. So as a business perspective, it's great that I can only send one guy out to yards to, to collect the information from the tower. Oh, I do need to send a crew here. No, I don't need to send crews here. Um, Cause that happens a lot. You know, you go through yards and you're like, yeah, it was time to do this yard, but it really didn't need to get done. 
So yeah, everything is entered into a schedule, right? Into mm-hmm. a financial plan, into an Excel sheets, and and mm-hmm. we lose that magic. So I want to talk a bit more about that magic. Yeah, I think we get a feel just listening to what you were sharing the last ten minutes about yeah the kind of dry, mm-hmm. empty, soulless lack of relationship with those bees, mm-hmm. and the magic only happen in relationship, like in you know any kind of practices if we can get deep dive into a relationship then to land to animals to plants and to each other to our communities that we get to know over time then we get to see something very special Mm -hmm. so the bees have been around for millions of years uh there are record of bees on monuments in egypt there are, you know, they were revered and seen as God and the special connection to the sun and also used as healers. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying just uh, using the propolis or the pollens or the honey, what they are making as healers, but being in the presence of bees, being in the vibration of the bees, being in the smell of the hive. Mm-hmm. And it's still one of my favorite thing when we crack a hive open and we just have this incredible smell. And, you know, for people listening, if you had the experience one day to experience that, it's complete magic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I believe as smaller beekeepers, that's what we enjoy, or right? that's what keeps that sense of hole you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's all those aspects. So can you tell us a little bit about that side of the magic of the bees, that side of the spiritual magic? of bees, like what we call bee shamanism, right? Being in relations to bees, getting healed by bees. And now it is explored still today in Mm -hmm. our modern world, far, far away from bees as producers of honey. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, With all that sort of stuff, I kind of, I really see, you know, a beehive is a window into the whole environment because you know, they interact with everything. They're digging up the mycelium, eating the sugars off of mushrooms. Um, typically, I love to think of bees in a tree, you know, as, as like a management style. So they typically look for hollows and trees that were hollowed out by mushrooms. Um, so they, they have just this incredible sense and smell and adaptability to anywhere they are. Um, and that's kind of as like a spiritual essence, I think they're just, they're such like a raw entity because, you know, it doesn't matter where they are. I, when I left California, I ended up taking two hives into the desert in Arizona and within two days, there's bringing all this pollen, all this stuff. And it's just like the most adaptable, versatile thing. And I think that's kind of, you know, a great reflection of spirit itself because it is everything. Um, and with that, you know, I always used to joke when I crack a hive open, like, oh, get my aromatherapy for the day. And then actually you were the one to send me the um, respiratory article about the breathing tubes and hooking up tides and stuff. And I was like, wow. Yeah, so tell us a bit about that because people here probably don't know about it. Explain us what that is, this uh, bee therapy with uh, 
breathing the bees. Yeah. So the air in a hive is always circulated by the bees. Um, they say air in a hive is cleaner than the air outside, even. Um, and then you add the scent of propolis and all of the the honey and the nectar that they're they're lofting off um, into the mix. And there's just you hook up a a breather tube, that one where the screen you're not you're not going to suck up any bees when you take a deep breath. Sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> You know, there is some benefits of being stung too, but, you know, much more controlled than that. Uh, but yeah, the, um, we've read that there's just many benefits to respiratory recovery, um, helps people with, with asthma. So you basically wear a mask and you're breathing through the hive. Yeah. Yeah. You're just, and I think it only takes, you know, 20, 30 minute session to, you know, exclusively breathing that air and then everyone has just reported an alleviation of their symptoms you know after a while whether it's just being able to breathe a little easier um or for you know the longer period than the session you know it may last up a week or things like that in the beginning until you start to really accumulate the the benefits doing it consistently for a while until your body's fully recovered from whatever it is that got you there. And I know it's something that I had seen with, with kids actually, um, where I know with kids with respiratory issues, they tend to be healed quicker, it seems, um, than, than the adults. But yeah, so that's, um, so there's the breathings of the bees and another things we were looking at and we are thinking of uh, first installing those breathing masks here uh, on the land so people can come and experience that. So stay tuned. We'll, we'll let you know when that happened. But there's also sleeping with the bees or the, what's called the bee bed mm. or the B&B yeah. uh, <laughs> as, uh, as, as it is there. So tell us a little bit about that practice and kind of the very magical and spiritual aspect of it. And, and what is it first? Yeah. Um, so there are these enclosures built now over top of beehives. They typically end up working better with top bar hives. Which are those horizontal hives, right? Yeah. And, and those mimic as closely as possible to bees in a tree. Uh, the niche that is the hive itself is more shaped like a round tree. Uh, bees always lay in a crescent or a circle, even between boxes in the Langstroth design. You'll find that the brood chamber tends to be circled off and it'll go into the, from one frame to another in a, in a top circle. Um, so they're always building to the same design. With a circle. Yeah. Which is interesting, right? That's mm -hmm. something quite fascinating to me because that's a fundamental shape mm -hmm. of a drum, of a shamanic drum, of the movement of the sun, the shape of the earth, right? So they have this connection and they're somehow making their hive in that shape inside. Yeah, and and bees themselves, you know, it's it's the ultimate form of honoring the seasons as well. You know, if everything comes back to itself eventually and and with that they are they are just astoundingly 
able to know what's going on when winter's coming. You know, they're always prepping for the seasons and, and, you know, that's kind of what makes it hard now with everything going on in the world and, mm-hmm. you know, temperatures shifting and winter times that are warmer than normal and all this stuff. So, um, so bee bed, so the bee bed ends up, um, being a good way to get close to them and actually feel that vibration. So when I was saying how I cover my hands and bees here and there, um, they typically end up buzzing and flapping their wings at a certain rate. And, you know, if they're covering any part of you, even if you just have one, you know, you'll feel it, but you just feel it through and through your like entire hand or when you're laying on top of them, um, you know, so there's a specific vibration basically and sound yeah, that is going through a certain amount of Hertz. And, um, that is something that it, uh, you know, in meditation and in breath work, they say, you know, focus on something and that's usually your breath. Mm-hmm. That's what takes you deeper. It's kind of the vehicle, um, of your attention and, that's kind of what I feel like, you know, when you're around bees, it's it's not really that you have a choice in it or not, you know, that's just who they are and what they do. And um, it's they're just very zen. So, you know, getting to lay with them or spend the night, you know, sleeping on top of a hive. You're so, but you would get stung, right? If you stop on top of a hive. So describe it with that bed because I'm sure people are like, what do you mean sleeping on top of a beehive? Yeah, so to mitigate that, um, and there is a lot of, there's a lot of different designs, but peculiarly, um, you know, having a thin layer between you because we don't want to take away from your interaction there, but we also want to ensure your your safety with that. Um, So the top bar hive is designed to almost be enclosed in it in itself when the frames are laid together bees can't come up through the top typically um, unless you leave them the space to do so and the designs usually want a couple hives at least under the bed so it gives your whole body full coverage that way you know through and through you can feel the warmth of the hive Typically, they're anywhere from 75 to 90 degrees all year round. doesn't matter if it's the dead of winter or the height of summer. Um, so they will make you sweat a little bit being in those rooms, but that's also part of the cleansing mm-hmm. aspect of, of the experience. And, um, you know, they, they always have this hum. And, you know, I think with things like, you know, sound bowls and all that, they, you know, they elevate the experience. But when it's just a nice subtle hum of the hive, um, that's something that, you know, it is a, it is that vehicle, you Mm -hmm. know, in itself. They are that vehicle. They say, um, you know, it used to be the practice of talking to the bees and I think it's just, um, a way of communicating that we don't quite understand yet. Yeah. 
So you're basically laying on those beehives through, you know, this wood and you're in these enclosed chambers and you're feeling the vibration, you're hearing the sound, you're smelling Mm -hmm. uh, the air that's going through the hive and you get to experience, you know, a few hours of sleep or a whole night Mm -hmm. in there. And uh, what I was reading about is that people that have depression, addiction, some very serious illness by spending a night like that experience quite remarkable and magical healing and transformation. Mm-hmm. And is it the smell? Is it the sound? Is it the vibration? It's probably all of it, right? And probably also the presence right, of 10, 20, 30,000 animals uh, yeah. under you mm-hmm. that are you know, going at their activity. Mm-hmm. that's quite magical yeah and to me it's it's very humbling to be able to be around bees and, and be accepted i guess mm, is a yeah is a good way to put it where you know they're just incredible they can do so much and they've lived so long and to allow themselves to still be um you know to allow the relationship of a human interacting with them at this point mm-hmm. um, is, is something that, um, you know, cause we all have that experience of when we were a kid. And well, I think also people, many people are afraid of bees because they have the experience of the bee sting. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not very often honeybees, right? It's wasp and mm-hmm. yellow jackets and hornets and, you mm-hmm. know, the other kind of bees out there. Mm-hmm. that are you know sometimes more aggressive or that defend their nest in a in a different way but with honeybees and you know was posting our experience yesterday when i posted the video on youtube and someone messaged me and say oh, i need uh, a bee exorcism because just watching the video i get so scared <laughs> and i feel like some some something needs to be done on me but it's really not the experience Mm-hmm. when we we're on beehives mm-hmm. you know yesterday tyler i mean you and i we were you know bringing those four colonies we probably had i don't know 40 50 60 000 bees total that were just flying around us and we had people coming visiting and witnessing that and we had some children there and all of us were around those hive and literally you know try to visualize for people listening tens of thousands of bees flying around you. And, you know, it's, it's pretty intense if you've never been around that amount of bees or mm-hmm. any kind of insect. Mm-hmm. There's rain intensity, especially when you know they can potentially sting, but mm-hmm. nobody was stung. None of us, you know, and we were putting the bees in the hive and there was so much going on there. And, you know, the children there were quite amazed at it. They were also, you know, picking up honey in the hive and eating the honey and mm-hmm. the bees were just going at their business. So yeah, I think there is something quite fascinating to feel that they have this power potentially to sting us. Mm-hmm. They have a, a home to protect. They have their babies and their food and their queen. Mm-hmm. And somehow they're kind of feeling the intention we have. Mm-hmm. Right? I remember uh, years ago, First time I got my hive, I think almost 10 years ago, uh, one day I just had a really bad day and I was just angry and upset and I was not feeling well. And I just went to see the bees and they just felt 
that energy and they get really annoyed by it. They were just <laughs> flying around me and kind of trying to push me away. And, and I was like, okay, it's not, it's not a good day, right? To open the hive, mm -hmm. uh, because I'm not in a good internal space. Mm -hmm. And they could just read that. They would know, right? I was not screaming. I was not going fast. They could just feel my vibration. Mm -hmm. And on the days where I'm very relaxed, I know I can go and open the hive and put my hands inside and be covered with bees and I'm not going to get stung. Mm -hmm. So that's quite fascinating, no? That's what's, what is happening here? Most definitely. Um, I think bees do have a keen way of, of uh, understanding and detecting past, you know, the physical. And with that, I think it's, there's levels of, levels to it where, you know, physically, that's why I prefer not to wear veil not to wear the suits because yeah so for everybody listening here i you know i do usually wear a veil at least on my face because that's one of the favorite places for bees to come and sting mm -hmm. because it hurts more <laughs> uh but and we're walking on the same high with tyler and tyler wears nothing he doesn't wear gloves he doesn't he's in shorts <laughs> he doesn't wear a veil and he doesn't get stinged and they still, for me, I mean, you know, I'm not, not ashamed to share it, but it's been 10 years and I still, you know, have this little kind of apprehension mm -hmm. of being stung. Despite being stung is not that painful. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, it's not like a yellow jacket or wasp. It's, it's, it's a more gentle sting, I would say, mm -hmm. quite beneficial for the body at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But there is still that thing there. And I think they know it. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's my experience of it. I have a <laughs> feeling that they know that I have this little, uh, kind of, yeah, part of my relationship with them that still need to heal mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And I'll get reminded here and there. Yeah. You know, not wearing a you got sometimes a few time, right? and <laughs> now having this dark beard and longer hair, you, you represent a bear a little better. Yeah. You look like a bear to a them. Bit. <laughs> more so, and more. Yeah. So. They tend to, you know, not care until they have to. You know, they know, they know they're going to die if they sting you and stuff. But the most times that I've been stung by, by doing something is like an accident happened. Yes, yeah, so that was going to be my question. You, obviously, you walk with, you know, millions of bees and mm -hmm. a lot of different hives. And some hives are pretty not happy, I'm guessing, mm -hmm. because of the way they are treated, right, in those big production companies. Um so did you feel every time you were stung, it is because you did something really wrong or maybe also because you were internally expressing something that was like anger or mm -hmm. discomfort and the bees kind of reacted to that? Yeah, I think there's certain days, especially, you know, during the pandemic where it's like purely going through something um, where... You know, going in the field, it's not easy work at all. Um, there's there's a lot into it. You have to physically use your body quite a lot. You're also using your mind the entire time to understand what's going on and what to do. And there's certain days, yeah, when I'm like frustrated and you're in the field and, you know, you, you want to get the job done so you can go deal with whatever you need to. Mm -hmm. deal with in ways and like hey if, if you want to just like rush through this we don't want you here you know mm -hmm. or if you aren't paying your respects in ways too 
I like, I always talk to the hives when I'm cracking a lid, lid to get in there. I'm like, hello, ladies. How's your day going? Do you say your name so I know who you are also? I haven't done that, but I should. <laughs> and that's, that's part of maybe, I think, their, their sense to detect. Because um, they do know scent very well. They smell a hundred times better than we do. So with that, it's also the detection of fear. You know, they operate solely a lot off of pheromones. So, you know, if, if there's any sort of apprehension in you or fear or, you know, once it gets to like anxiety and stuff, that's stuff more internal. So it's not projected out typically, but. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like they the ultimate it. teacher, right? Like you would go to meet your spiritual teacher or your guru or whoever mm-hmm. is helping you on your spiritual path. And then you can just go sit on the hive and you cannot cheat the hive. You cannot mm-hmm. cheat the bees, right? You cannot lie to the bees no. because they will instantly know how you are feeling inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to me, I find that fascinating. Right? Mm-hmm. And I can see as I deepen my work in general, spiritual work and healing also my relationship to the bees or their relationship to me is mm-hmm. shifting in reflection mm-hmm. and that's probably what fascinates us a lot too i guess yeah and i i think when it really comes down to it if you enter into a hive and you're in this this curiosity state they tend to be way more accepting you know, because cause one, you're you're in awe like the whole time. Mm. Bees are just the way they construct hives is captivating. You know, even when they build comb where you don't want it as a beekeeper, it makes it harder to, for me to do my job. You're like, that's really cool though. It <laughs> <laughs> looks beautiful. Um, so yeah, I think um, there's just so many ways where as long as your intention is kind of pure while you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, they reflect that. And I, I think when I walk in and my mind's somewhere else where I'm angry or something, I kind of get that reflection. You know, you open a hive and they just start bumping you right away. And, Try uh, to slap your face or your butt, right? <laughs> yeah, they're like either get with it or get out, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of thing. And um yeah, it definitely depends on their relationship to you over time. Because those the commercial bees that I've worked, it really didn't matter sometimes. It's like these bees are just angry. Mm. Um, Which would make sense, right? In the mm-hmm. way they are treating and that. So it's it's very much like this, yeah, the bee shaman, the bee mystic, or people in the old days, and there are still a few people on this planet today that walk that way. They were able to go to the bees and share about what's going on in their life, what's going on in the life of their client. They would bring their clients there, their patients, Mm -hmm. or they would bring um, issues going on in the community. Mm -hmm. And they would Mm -hmm. basically listen back to the bees and uh, somehow the bees were able to whisper wisdom and to heal the patient that was there. Mm -hmm. And obviously that require a very deep relationship to that specific hive, to the specific colonies and to the bees and all of practice. But there is that practice out there, which is like you just mentioned, talking to the bees. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that because it's very ancient, right? 
Yeah. Um, and even down to how the Egyptians used to be able to interact with hives, um, they could actually mimic the sound of queens with their own voice so well that they could draw the queen out of a hive right to them, which is, it blows my mind to think about things like that and how just deeply connected humans and these these organisms are when it comes down to it. And that's something that has really unveiled, you know, over time where you build that relationship specifically. Um, like the two hives I took to the desert, I'd, I had a great routine um, where I'd wake up and I'd go read to them like in the morning, just sit in the hammock right next to the hive. I'd read to them. I'd meditate. So you take a book and you're reading them, whatever you're reading. Yeah, Yeah. anything. And I think just them hearing your voice, they can detect the vibration of your voice. Mm -hmm. Um, Intention. Yeah. And then, and then I'd meditate with them. And then after a while I've, I've realized and I've read here and there where, you know, if you actually sit with them, and the bees that are on the ground, if you like pick them up and you put them in up to the entrance of their hive and you just keep kind of doing that, they really start to associate you with um, just like a caretaker kind of thing. You're part of the hive, basically. You start being an integrative part of it. Yeah. And they're like, oh, he's really here to help. Um, you know, he's... On our side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And. Um, talking to the bees it's you know they say that they're they're messengers um they're able to freely pass through our world to the spirit world and you know deliver messages to you know our allies all around us um our ancestors and um i've truly felt that at points you know where it's just these peculiar moments where you're in like a deep struggle but you decide to honor the relationship as you know to and as you felt to in the past. And, you know, there's just moments where I'm like, you just really need a boost, you know, and like your reality in some kind of way. And just even like praying around hives and stuff have had answers you know, come to me, whether it comes in the form of a friend soon after or something like that. And, um, you know, I... Do you have one example you want to share? I mean, you don't have to. It might be very personal, but do you have an example where you went to talk to the bees and you experienced this mystical aspect of the high, this answer back, this deep listening and then answer? Yeah, and... um Absolutely. There's, um, it was my last bit of time in the commercial industry. I ended up, um, working around this company. Um, and I talked to their crew here and there when I worked for the school and we were in their yards, they showed up and it was really cool for me. Cause I'm like, you know, these are the guys that are doing it. These are the professionals, you know, in a sense, like, they're the cowboys of the industry in ways and all that just 
um, wonder. And when I finally got um, one of my contracts that I had gotten consulting, mm-hmm. I was actually on that owner's personal almond orchard at his house. And I was like, what a roundabout experience, you know, that circle in a way. And, you know, at that point, I had done so much where it's like, you know, I should be satisfied with this work. And, and yeah, I had a great time doing it all and stuff. And the people I met were all amazing. But there was still just this underlying feeling of just not being satisfied by the work. And I think it was the, I know now it was the environment that I was working in. And this was over, you know, about a week's time where I ended up, um, you know, I, I wasn't there to work his hives. Actually, I was there to do stuff with almond trees. But just being there, I was like, you know, I, I was taking my break and how commercial beekeepers keep their hives is on pallets. So there's four hives on a pallet. And I ended up, you know, I just wanted to spend my lunch like meditating on top of them. And after a while, I just kind of prayed and I was like, let me feel how they feel. And after meditating for a while, I sort of like got up and I just felt incredibly disoriented. And I don't know, my body felt like sick in ways. And, you know, that definitely for someone like me, I take all that stuff to heart you know, and the practice, all of that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, it was very saddening just to, mm-hmm. to feel that way. And, um, so, you know, I spent time with that a little bit throughout that week. It was just kind of like really thinking about it. I was like, was that just me? Or, you know, was I really feeling how they feel? And, Knowing that they're chemically managed majority of the year and stuff, I can only imagine, you know, that's exactly how they felt. Mm. And, you know, at that point, I was just kind of in that environment and stuff. And it's just like, you know, how can I, how can I get back to what brought me here? Mm. You know, regardless of like where I am at the moment. You know, I want to get back to the essence and, you know, being in that particular environment, I was just like, um, what well, I was interviewing for jobs at that point. Cause it'd been about four months, almost half a year of just doing contract work. And I was very steadfast and I was like, I'm only here to work bees. You know, I want to be job. I don't per se with want to keep doing commercial stuff because one as we relate um you know i broke my back when i was younger so over time i know if i continue doing this you know potentially take away from the quality of life when i'm older Mm -hmm. and it's just something i want to be able to be able to walk comfortably you know over time and Mm -hmm. i ended up taking this phone call and it was for a job that was going to be able to like host people in nature 
in ways. And, you know, I think I knew like right away, I was like, this is the first time that I've allowed myself to fully feel my way through a conversation through, you know, there's always like a lag when you're thinking about things too much with reality. And, um, I hung up the phone and I instantly just like kind of dropped to my hands and knees and I just started bawling and then laughing and then bawling and then laughing. <laughs> and I was just like, there's my answer, you know? Mm. Um, and that was, that was, you know, in itself, um, hard to get there, but incredibly healing yeah. all in one moment. And I know at some point I just read, you know, once you get to a true spiritual experience, that's a, that's like pretty much exactly what it is, mm. you know? And, and I can feel it in your words and, you know, I can see you coming out of this meditation and feeling disoriented and, mm -hmm. and this, yeah, it's pure magic, right? It's beauty and it's pain and it's love and it's clarity and it's, mm -hmm. It may, seeing everything from a complete different perspective, it's like now seeing very clearly, right? This this experience of light, mm -hmm. of revelation, thanks to the the bees and the relationship, right? Because you were also seeking that, right? You you were questioning it. Yeah, you know? it's not like you're like, okay, you know, I'm just going to make money here. No, there's like something that feels deeply wrong, mm -hmm. and that I do not want to to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And I think that that says a lot. And I think the bees saw the allyship mm -hmm. and an answer to it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I feel with beekeeping and just connection to bees in general, bee shamanism, all those experience, the way we can experience the bees. I think that's probably the less explore, you know. Obviously, you know, we, we know how to use our product and the honey and mm -hmm. the propolis. And we the all pollen, love it. <laughs> right. Uh, breathing through the hives, the bee bed, and all of that. But I feel like here there is like this ultimate layer, which is the connection to the messenger that you mentioned, right? This mm -hmm. connection to other realities, mm -hmm. ancestors, our souls, guides. Uh, I remember in, in a ceremony four or five years ago, going to do a part of my ceremony for a few hours in right in front of the hives. And so there were kind of almost in their flight path. <laughs> <laughs> and I just put my altar down and put my feather and my crystals and just starting to pray to them. And I was praying for this prayer of unity, of connection, because the high for me represent this incredible capacity mm -hmm. to live in harmony, even in a small closed space and yeah. overcrowded, right? And I was taken into that connection to the queen Mm. and she was showing me a connection to sacred geometries mm -hmm. and beings not just sacred geometry inside the hive but how it was a reflection of how they were connected to this perfect alignment of the universe right they were a representation of harmony and showing me what is required for me in my internal work Mm -hmm. to to get there to manifest it out there right it's because they have this internal connection and they can manifest in their hive 
and it was just this yeah very profound moments of like being really taught by the bees mm -hmm. by talking to the bees <laughs> by listening to the bees and it was really magical and it opened kind of a deeper layer of connection that hasn't left me since uh, in the way when i look at them and see them i always remember that mm -hmm. and i bow to those little um teachers little winged <clears throat> teachers that are right there yeah and there's there's something that i've you know witnessed just being around bees so much where it's it's like they have they built upon this ability to resonate with each other and that's something where we experience it as humans with each other and doesn't always happen as easily as a hive sometimes we sting Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the balance of it all. Um, you know, they're, they're super sweet, but they're willing to go kamikaze when they want to <laughs> or need to for the hive, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's something that um, is an ultimate sacrifice as well. Um, sacrifice for the community. Mm -hmm. for the good of all right for, yeah they put themselves i mean what more in the front line to be in the front line to give your life for mm -hmm. you know it reminds me uh years ago i was attending an event with a lakota elder and it was during the time of the fights with um, standing rock pipeline mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you had those warriors you know men and women being on the front line with just their drum and their songs mm -hmm. to protect their the waters, not just the waters on their reservation, but the water for the future generations, mm -hmm. the water for downstream the river, which is outside the reservation, for all the relations, right? Not just mm -hmm. us as humans, but animals and birds. Mm -hmm. And when I was asking the elder about how he felt about it, if he had any hope and in this fight and you know they were received on the other side by violence mm -hmm. right people in full gears mm -hmm. and smoke and rubber bullets and things like that and they were still standing there and he say yeah he say you know we have prayer and action this is action and we're also praying mm -hmm. but ultimately we are ready to die and i mm -hmm. was like wow Those people are ready to die for the waters, to give their life, mm -hmm. right? And you say, yeah, what will we not do to protect your mother? Mm -hmm. If you're not ready to die for your mother, who are you? Mm -hmm. What are you even believing in? Mm -hmm. And you know, when you think of the bees putting themselves in the front line for the good of the community, mm -hmm. you can just see the resonance there, right? Mm -hmm. Native people are able to still cultivate this such deep, intimate relationship to earth. Mm -hmm. and to show us the way you know in the same way the bees are showing the way and somehow act in the same way <laughs> so that to me that's something mesmerizing and beautiful and really inviting reflection mm -hmm. you know often in our lives are we upset or triggered by something that's going on in the world and we might just rant about it on social media mm -hmm. we might just you know scream or whatever But how often are we ready to put ourselves in the front line, mm -hmm. to put our life on a stick at stake 
mm-hmm. that we are doing this for the community and not for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, that constant reflection is an invitation of how to go deeper in this work. And the bees are messenger of that. They're showing us how to do it. Mm-hmm. They've been doing that for millions of years. They perfected it. Mm-hmm. They have invented democracy mm-hmm. way before we did it. They have found a way to uh, be in the front line and still be very gentle and caring and give us a lot of sweetness. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no aggressivity really. You know, this mm-hmm. this kamikaze <laughs> behavior yeah. is just a boundary setting. Exactly. It's just a clear no. And and it's funny with bees, like they'll bump you first. So they want to give you the warning. You know, they don't want to have to go to the lengths of stinging. Um, but if they feel they're not being respected or, or they're, you know, even just standing in their flight path, you know, they're like, you're an obstacle. <laughs> so you put yourself, you know, in your prayer in the red zone mm-hmm. and they felt the intention though. Mm-hmm. You know, and the honor there, I always, when I find myself in the space of bees, you're in this energy that it's not a lack of focus of any kind, but it's a willingness to go in any direction. Um, you know, that's that's how they built their adaptability, their versatility, you know, like, we were talking the other night about when I took my bees straight to the desert sort of stuff. And I, I had noticed, um, how they learned to collect water out of sand and digging and just letting the water pool up and just drinking that. Um, it's just this incredible ability to, to adapt and yeah, you know, it's to go any direction is something that we portray as is like ADD in ways or lack of mm-hmm. focus in ways and and stuff like that but it is a very necessary thing to be able to you know in a moment flip the switch and you know oh we're doing this okay I'm all in oh, but then we have to go here and you bring mm-hmm. yourself fully there every time you don't leave anything behind you know, you're collected as a collective and, you know, the goals, if the goal changes, the goal changes and, you know, they have their set of what they need to do and worry about, but, you know, on the surface it's, it comes and goes in different ways and to be able to distinguish that, you know, and I decided to leave the industry for a while it's like man i really hope i'm not like making this decision and leaving bees behind in a way it's like there's so much a part of myself that if i abandon this this should have path or should go path you know for a while i was worrying about it or scared about it and stuff and then i really realized like as much as i projected onto that decision you know, that was the invitation from mm. them mm. To, to find that honor. Yeah, it's very profound. And I'm really feeling into what you just shared about sometimes, yeah, we can feel, well, 
I don't want to support that, but sometimes we can also change things from the inside, right? If we, if we are on the outside, we cannot really change things. But I also believe that, you know, what you're building and what you're going to do with the bees is going to, at some point, come back <laughs> in a circle. Uh, I'm really, uh, really feeling that. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for this conversation. I could go on and on <laughs> for hours and... You know, for people listening, I, I hope this gives you um, uh, an invitation mm-hmm. to curiosity, right? To to all to the bees, and if you are afraid of bees, to maybe look at them a little bit differently and mm-hmm. and really question what is it I'm really afraid of? Is it my own pain? <laughs> is it to be confronted with this clear mirror, this clear mm-hmm. reflection that the beehives gives us? Mm-hmm. And what is it that I carry that maybe are those beliefs that needs to be let go mm-hmm. to, to be in good relations, not just with the bees, right? With each other and with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I really thank you, uh, Tyler, for, for being my friend, for, <laughs> for having, yeah, you here on the land and, and also for sharing this, this wisdom that you carry. And that, uh, really is, uh, is so obvious when I look at you walking the eyes. <laughs> And uh, I think the high winds all yesterday are waiting for us. We should go check on them and see what's happening there. But thank you so much for coming on the on the podcast today. And uh, we'll do another one maybe uh, next time you come or in a year and see where you are at. We'll we'll be following your story. I hope so. Thank you. And um, it's always so refreshing to be here. So thank you. Um, you know what you build is is just amazing. You yeah, know, and you, ha- you have to come back to, to build this bee bed <laughs> yeah. and uh, bee breathing mask. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we might do a ceremony with the bees and invite people here, you know, to to have that experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for me, as I always say, you know, the bees are not about, about the honey, right? I, I like honey and it's sweet mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. nice, but it's all the other aspect of beekeeping mm-hmm. that gets me still very excited to have bees and go through the pain of losing colonies and still mm-hmm. wanting to to keep bees mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah i can't wait i love it thank you thank you so much and thank you everyone that is listening please you know we we really appreciate your support if you want to be a patreon members or if you want to support us on our work check out our website the sanctuaryheal.com and also share this podcast with people that might be interested we have, uh, I think, uh, close to 100 episodes now. Uh, so share with people that, you know, might feel some, some guidance. We're really doing this. I am doing this as really a work of service, hopefully providing some value to all of you. And if you feel this value, just, just let us know. Uh, put a good review on our podcast, send us an email. And I'm always excited to hear how those stories uh, touch you. So thank you so much and very much uh, looking forward to continuing a beautiful conversation. Thank you for listening to the Sanctuary Podcast. We deeply value your support. Please consider sharing this podcast with others and joining our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. Once again, it is patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. At The Sanctuary, we believe that spirituality is a personal journey that takes many forms, and we honor and respect all paths to awakening and the rise of consciousness. Our mission is to provide a platform 
for open and honest conversations about spirituality and to inspire and empower our listeners to live their most authentic lives in good relation to each other's, the living and invisible worlds. I look forward to connecting with you again here or at our events, retreats, and online gatherings. You can find all our offerings at thesanctuaryheal.com. Once again, it is thesanctuaryheal.com.